0: we're talking about
1: specifically when it comes to the Mormon doctrines and them just not meeting the bill when it comes to scriptural doctrines. And you you went through Jude, I was thinking the same exact verse once and for all delivered unto the saints. And then there's just this new gospel that we really need, you know, come 1800 years later, we really need this new gospel with another testament, which is another covenant, by the way, testament, yeah. covenant, and so forth. And then you have this rebuilding of the church. Because if it apostasized, it needs to be real rebuilt. So what is that s- church supposed to look like when the rebuild takes place?
2: Yeah, when you look at it, even look at the scriptures that they misuse. Uh, when you, if you know your Bible, you'll see through these lies. If you really study the scripture, you get to know it. Uh, because I know Mormons will typically, when they used to, when I was a young believer, they'll take out this, you know, I, maybe I've seen them come to kind of my door for some time this way. Sometimes I have to chase them down, you know. They eventually get blacklisted, you know. Yeah. But they open up this thing where they show you these elaborate pictures of Joseph Smith praying and so forth, and one of the scriptures they like to use is Acts chapter three, which it talks about, you know, Peter's talking to Jews, and repent, and then he'll bring the restitution of all things, which was prophesied through the prophets, talking about the Old Testament prophets. Say, so look, he's he says he promised to restore the church, and he did through Joseph Smith. And I'm like, guys, do you recognize what's going on here? This is Acts chapter three. Acts chapter 2, which many call the birthday of the church, okay, and whether you believe it was birthed right then or a little bit before that during Jesus' ministry and was empowered at that time, uh, in Acts 2, you have at least the empowering of the church, and the church is, is pretty pretty close to brand new, right? In Acts 3, it's either brand new or close to brand new, right? We're supposed to believe that the church had fallen away between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and needs to be restored? No, that's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, In Acts chapter 2, Peter is explaining the prophecy of Joel in the beginning of the church, the Jews, so they understand what's going on, what this phenomena is with with the Spirit filling people and speaking in tongues and so forth. The birthday of the church had already happened or was happening then. At least the empowerment of the church is there. He's explaining the church's beginning. So we're supposed to believe in the next chapter. He's telling non-believing Jews, repent and he'll restore the church through Joseph Smith. No, he says to repent and he'll restore all things and Jesus will return. When he's talking about Jesus coming, he's talking about the returning, not coming to Joseph Smith. So it's, it's such a ridiculous lie. You look at it, it's like, are they serious? And this, those, I feel sorry for the kids, that are these so-called elders that are teaching this because they're being duped by their leaders. Do their leaders really believe, that are they really that biblically illiterate to think the church just started and committed apostasy? They don't even teach it started, it, it was an apostasy at that point. They say it took, took you know, a couple hundred years or so. And by the way, look at the offices of the church. If you restore a 57 Chevy, or you restore a vehicle. It's gonna look like a 57 Chevy if it's a 57 Chevy. You look at them, it's like you have elders and they're kids, man, they're teenagers sometimes. I mean, usually, elder so-and-so, how old are you? you know? I mean, I'm starting to get gray hair, you know? And these guys have peach fuzz on, on their face, some of them, and they're elders, and deacons, I mean, I think it was, uh it was Brigham Young, i probably remember Journal Discourse, he says uh, they have no business being leaders in the church, young guys, they're called elders. Uh, the Mormon church has a head prophet. Does there, did the early church have one prophet that everybody looked to? No, the early church had a, 12 apostles, but they had 12 apostles that were unique and Paul was an apostle, not one of the 12 born out of due time because to be one of the 12 and the quorum of the 12, as they like to call it, you had to have seen and been part of Jesus's ministry and have been with him for, for during his time of ministry, sufferings, resurrection and be a witness to that Paul saw the resurrected Christ, but he's an apostle born out of due time. On in New Jerusalem, when it comes down from heaven, you have the names of the twelve apostles. But then they want us to believe that there's you don't have to meet that criteria. We've witnessed Jesus' ministry, and you can be one of the twelve. Now they're not going by scripture, so you don't have a they don't have a head prophet in the true church. That's, Jesus is our King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is our our priest, right? So they have a, they have elders that aren't biblical. They have uh, a prophet that's not biblical. Uh, they have a priesthood, an Aaronic priesthood. Well, the ironic priesthood is done. Read the book of Hebrews, and they have those who are part of the Melchizedek priesthood, Melchizedekian priesthood. Uh, if you read the scriptures in Hebrews, in the Hebrews, Jesus is the, uh, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was a picture of Jesus, and he has an untransferable priesthood. It says so. You can't be a Melchizedek priest either. So if you look at Mormonism, false prophet, the head guy, false apostles, false elders false Aaronic priest, a false Melchizedek priest, the whole thing from top to bottom is not what the early church looked like. It's a false church, therefore it's a cult. Yeah,
1: I think that's really important for us to understand because it's just as we go down the line here, we're just seeing there is no commonality between the Jesus, the Father, the, the Holy Spirit, the church, And now something that is really, really important, and I I really want, if if you're an LDS member and you're wondering, hey, but I've had all these things happen to me. I I prayed and somebody got healed, or I I felt this burning inside of me when I searched and asked. I asked God if this is true, and and I felt it, and I knew it was true in my heart. But we want to show you quite clearly that Joseph Smith is simply a false prophet according to the scriptures. So Joe, are there prophecies that Joseph Smith gave that fell flat on their face?
2: Yeah, there are several, but how many false prophecies do you need to make, bro, for your false prophet? According to
1: Deuteronomy 18, it is one singular false prophecy. Amen.
2: So in volume two of their own published history of the church, uh, I think around 189 or so, and that book, volume two for sure, of their history of the church, uh, it's a statement that he makes in February of 1835. Mormonism started in like 1830, so five years later. He says that in 56 years uh, will be the coming of the Lord. Even in 56 years, he says, the coming of the Lord is nigh, and in 56 years it shall wind up the scene, you know. And uh, as time some time went on, you know, after that he acknowledges that, yeah, I didn't know if Lou was talking about the millennium or it's coming. Oh, well, I think what he meant is it wouldn't happen. It would, if it happened, to happen then, if I was able to live long enough. But if it didn't, then, you know, uh, it wouldn't happen before then and what have you. So he starts to hedge it because people, either he's starting to think, oh I'm going to look like a false prophet later uh, if I live that long, which he didn't, by the way. Uh, or some of people are saying, hey, you better clean that thing up because you said he's coming in 56 years in 1835. So in 1891, if he doesn't come in February of 1891, I mean, you're a false prophet. So he tried to clean it up but it was too late he had already made the prophecy that christ would come in 56 years uh he's a false prophet and there's been many uh just every time he talks about the future in regard to mormonism and 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 eternal life and how it comes through mormonism he's making false prophecies over and over and over again because he's talking about different jesus you know when they're talking about you know what you're going to see and what you're going to get in the eternal life false prophecies uh, the celestial kingdom through the temple and so forth, and all these things associated with, and he ties the future. False. Those are all false prophecies because it's built on a false system. No, and I think and that that's, was page one eighty two, by the way. And I think that's important two.
1: for for you to understand. And there's actually two different criteria that we'll go over here. There's other ways to be a false prophet as well, but in well, terms well, of Deuteronomy because you
2: just gave me a perfect segue, and then you hit 18 because you said there's other ways to be a false prophet. Yeah. How about if Chad, if I say, oh, you know what, I chatted. You just didn't know this, but you know. I'm actually in the Bible and my name's in the Bible. And I opened up the book of Genesis to you. And I say, look at Genesis, look at the last verses. And you read Genesis and you're like, oh, verse 26. It ends in verse 26. I'm not reading about you, Joe. I mean, it's talking about Joseph, you know, who's persecuted his brothers there, but not about you, Joe Schummel. You know, I say, no, 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 man. There's there's a prophecy in there that's that was lost. And I'm reinserting retrospectively myself as a prophet that used to be in the book of Genesis, but it was erased and that's why none of the Jews have in their manuscripts, but I'm restoring everything. So I gotta let you know in my new translation, the Joe Schimmel translation of the Bible, we have the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible right there. So if I said that, I'd obviously be a false prophet. And I obviously, I mean, that's the most egregious, just ridiculous thing to do. I myself found myself in the Bible, just wasn't there. You just gotta believe me now. But if you look at verse 33 of Genesis chapter 50, uh, which is not in our Bibles, in any Bible translation, except the one that Joseph Smith said it originally must have had this. Uh, verse 33, I mean, try to work, go to go to an Orthodox Jew and say, this was in Genesis. Uh, it says this, verse 33, and that seer will I bless, false verse, verse does not exist, and they shall seek to destroy him, and he shall be confounded. Okay, now that's important. And that seer will I bless, he's talking about himself, and they that seek, I'm sorry, and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded. By the way, that's a false prophecy right there. Yeah, what happened because, to him? They tried to seek to destroy him, and they weren't confounded. They actually killed him, and he had a gunfight, and he lost the gunfight. Uh, for this promise I give unto you, for I will remember you from generation to generation, and his name shall be called Joseph. Surprised he didn't just write Joseph Smith there, you know? Yeah. I guess he realized probably, oh, that's right, maybe they didn't have last names back then. but I keep that name out. His name will be called Joseph, and he shall be named after Uh, after the name of his father, Joseph Smith's father's name was Joseph, right? And he shall be like unto you, for uh, the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand shall bring my people unto salvation, which is another false prophecy because Mormonism brings damnation. There's three false prophecies right there, and him retrospectively inserting a prophecy about himself in the Bible thousands of years later, saying this was actually there. Not any manuscripts, the Jews would just laugh their heads off saying, but this is not a laughing matter, this is heartbreaking, because he's deceiving many, many people with these lies.
1: Yeah, and it's, as as Joe just said, there's multiple ways to to prove a false prophet. And I believe that we could summarize what happens in Deuteronomy 13 earlier in the show when we went through a different Jesus, a different Father, different Holy Spirit, different Church, all of these things, that even if a dreamer of dreams, even if a, a prophet comes, and even if he has things come to pass, which... Seems like most of this fell on deaf ears anyways. Uh, and yeah. not even Satan was helping him uh, fulfill some of these prophecies. But even if they did come to pass, yeah. if they lead you to another God, That's right, they're Chuck. a false prophet. That's right. And and, it's a different God, definitely. We've proven that. And he absolutely fulfills all the prophecies about a false prophet. Absolutely. And and it's really heartbreaking. And you think about adding to God's word there. You'll be proven to be a liar. And Joseph Smith, over and over again, has proven to be a liar, and the Bible once again is right, and Joseph Smith is wrong. And speaking of that, I mean, if we're going to talk about the Christian faith, we're going to talk about what the Bible says, the atonement, the what Jesus Christ did, atoning for our sins at the cross, how does the atonement differ from Mormonism to true biblical Christianity?
2: Yeah, sometimes when we speak of Catholicism, and uh, the heartbreaking lie is that that you know Jesus' blood, you, know, you have to suffer in purgatory to have your sins purged, your venial sins uh, by torment before you can be made ready for heaven, as though the blood of Christ really cannot bring forgiveness without your suffering for your own sins. That's a heresy, that's blasphemous. Well, Mormonism, uh, early Mormonism, true Mormonism, it's gotten facelifts, and now it's even more distorted than it was then in some ways uh, as they try to make it look more biblical, uh, taught that the blood of Jesus Christ is not powerful enough uh, not good enough to really remit us, remit all of our sins. In fact, uh, John one seven says, "But if you know we walk in light, as he's in light, we have fellowship one with another." And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And First John one nine, as you know, Chad says, "If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness." Well, according to Mormonism, uh, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young's Mormonism, uh, you had to have your sins atoned for uh, because Jesus' blood wasn't good enough in certain areas. So uh, Joseph Smith, or Prophet Joseph Smith, History of the Church, again, Volume 5, page 296. Uh, uh, Prophet Joseph Smith, Jr., History of the Church, Volume 5. I am opposed to hanging. Now, not, he's not opposed to capital punishment here. He's opposed to hanging. Why? He doesn't shed blood. He says, even if a man killed another, I will shoot him or cut off his head, spill his blood on the ground, and let the smoke thereof ascend up to God. Uh, And if it ever I have the privilege of making a law on that subject, I will do so, do it so. So yeah, he's going to, you know, uh, that's, that's Joseph Smith. Brigham Young, okay, he says, Will you love your brothers and sisters likewise when they have committed a sin that cannot be atoned for without the shedding of their blood? This guy's a con artist, by the way. Like you'll prove your salvation or damnation, whether you believe me or not, whether it was Adam or not that had sex with Mary, or the Holy Spirit that had begotten her. He says, Do "You love that man or woman well enough to shed their blood." That is what Jesus Christ meant. Okay. Uh, bring him out again. Any of you who understand the principles of eternity, if you have sinned, a sin requiring the shedding of blood, except the sin unto death, would not be satisfied or rest until your blood should be spilled, that you might gain the salvation you desire. This is the way to love mankind. So he's basically caught in, it's, it's amazing because he's turning people into killers in the name of love. They kill people that have fallen short of God's glory. Uh, Brigham Young again, Journal of Discourses, by the way, same volume where he has the Adam God over and over again taught. Uh, he says you, you know that he was not begotten by the Holy Spirit. Page 108 and 109, he says, if you want to know what to do with a thief that you may find stealing, I say kill him on the spot and never suffer him to commit another iniquity. I will prove by my works whether I can mete out justice to such persons or not. I would consider it just as much my duty to do that as to baptize a man for the remission of sins. So they also believe in baptismal remission for sins. Uh, also, now this is this is a crazy one by Brigham Young as well. I thought they're not all crazy, but uh, here we go, volume 1, page 108 and 109 again. Brigham Young says, suppose that your brother is in bed with your wife. He says... He says, suppose you found your brother in bed with your wife and put a javelin through both of them. You would be justified, and they would atone for their sins and be received into the kingdom of God. So you can kill people in the midst of adultery, and they'll go right to heaven. <laughs> no so much for be not deceived, adulterers will not hurt God's kingdom, right? Uh, and this is that once, like, super brutal and also a form of, like, once saved, always saved, It's kind of crazy. Uh, he goes on to say, I have no wife whom I would not do not love so well, because he has more than one wife, he says, I have no wife who I do not love so well that I would not put a javelin through her heart and I would do it with clean hands. Therefore, it is not man or woman who violates the covenants made by their God that will not be required to pay that debt or the debt.
1: Doesn't so, seem like a loving guy to me.
2: No, man. No, this guy was pretty, pretty brutal. Uh, the blood of Christ will never wipe away that, wipe that out. Our own blood must atone for it. Of course, not his blood. Everybody else's, right? Uh, and then one more from uh, from uh Brigham Young, I believe that there are a great many, and if they are covenant breakers, we need a place designated. He's talking about really doing this, guys, where we can shed their blood. Brethren and sisters, he preaches, we want to uh, you to repent and forsake your sins. And you who have committed sins that cannot be forgiven through baptism, let your blood be shed, and let the smoke of sin and the incense thereof may come up before God as an atonement for your sins, and that the sinners of Zion may be afraid." Now, I, I got that, that was my last one I bring about. I got one more from Herbert C. Kimball. This one is just amazing. Chad, how did how did Judas die?
1: Well, he hung himself, and then apparently the tree broke, and he fell down, and his bowels, ears, bowels spread out in the blood.
2: That's right. Well, not according to Mormonism. Uh, Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, pages 125 and 126. Herbert C. Kimball says Judas lost that saving principle, and they took him and killed him meaning the other apostles. It is said in the Bible that his bowels gushed out, but they actually kicked him until his bowels came out.
1: All right. That's uh, <laughs> crazy. That's a little different. So, yeah, I mean,
2: they the apostles kicked Jesus to death to save his soul in the end.
1: Well, I think this lines up really well with what we want to talk about right now because when it comes to the Book of Mormon, this is an extra-biblical book, just as the quotes there From Journal of Discourses, which are teachings of their prophet, which are canon as well, because they're spoken of as if they are the word of God, similar to when the apostles, as we talked about earlier, like to Thessalonica, when he said he praised God that they took it for what it was when the apostles came and spoke, not of the words of men, but actually as the words of God, as God's mouthpieces on earth that God was building the church with, that he had given the keys of the kingdom to, that they were literally building the church through God's word, moved by the Holy Spirit, Literally presenting and then writing the graphe, writing scriptures that would then for us be for us concerning all things, concerning doctrine, concerning our way of living and so forth. And so when we talk about the canon of scripture and what we have here, it's very interesting because we believe in what's called like a uh, self-authenticating canon, one that the canon speaks for itself by its attributes, by by what it is ontologically, because it's the anustas, what it is by its being, that God is the one who breathed it, and God is the one who wrote it, so we know that it's accurate, we know it's for us, that it's revelation to us. And one of the things also is doctrine, what it preaches from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, in terms of clarity from old to new. But another thing that we like to talk about as well is that the apostles wrote it, and that the dating of it, because even... In the early church they talk about these new letters that would come these false letters which yeah. they knew were not canon and one of the things they would even bring up early church fathers would write about how the ink is still wet where the others are dry because the apostles had long been dead so when canon was done being written by those apostles when the apostle when the apostle John was the last one to die canon was done that was it Amen. there was never going to be another drop of ink on a piece of paper that was going yeah, to be the talks about
2: The four gospel accounts. And...
1: Yeah, he belabors the four yeah. gospels, that fourfold gospel account. They belabor the words of God. And every single statement that was made about the scriptures by the early church was negating anything that was written that wasn't those scriptures. There was obviously something being specific. It doesn't mean they were perfect in it. The only thing that is perfect is the Word of God that we are given, not necessarily the men that God used as a thermometer that told us, hey, this is the Word of God when we read a thermometer, rather than a thermostat that decides it. But this all is a quick reference point to get to why we don't trust the Book of Mormon as a canon on top of, or as, we should say, as a part of the canon of Scripture that we already have.
2: Yeah, amen. And and of course, Paul... We've alluded to it earlier, but if you go by a Mormon temple, you'll see what's supposed to be the the Mormon, you know, prophet, you know, Baloney or Moroni. Okay, (laughs) it's really Baloney. It's what is being taught there. Is uh, you get such lies, and that's exactly what Paul warned about. He says, "I marvel that you are so quickly deserting him who's called you into the gospel of Jesus Christ to another gospel, which for the a different gospel, and uh, which is really not another." you know, a loss. it's a heterosity, a different gospel, uh, another of a different kind. It's not the right gospel, right? So it's interesting. He says, if we are an angel from heaven, even Paul, if we do this, or an angel from heaven preach another gospel than that which we preach, let him be eternally condemned. Let him be accursed. One translation says, go to hell, you know, because it's talking about being separate from Christ forever. It's a lucid translation, but that's basically what it's talking about there. It's that serious. And then in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, who has bewitched you, you know, before the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified? And they, there's a spell that's been put on them. And these different gospels come with demonic spirits. The spirit speaks, expresses a lot of times, some will depart from the faith, even he's seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So there are the false prophets in 1 John chapter four. They have a different Jesus, 1 John chapter two. And there's they labor under a different spirit called the spirit of error. So it's important that we understand that there are demonic spirits behind these things. That's why they there's such power in Mormonism as far as riches and, and, and money. I mean, look at how much the Roman Catholic Church money has. You can do that later. On. You Google how much church the money the Roman Catholic Church has. Then Google the much smaller Mormon church and see how much money they have, you know, and see what they have their hands in, okay? Not clean, a lot of it. You know, so it's just quite interesting. Uh, and then uh, when you look at Mormonism, you look at their claims. I already mentioned that, when the, this, the Moroni comes the third time, and the third visitation, basically the third denial of the true gospel, boom, that's when we have a, uh, the cock crowed, Joseph Smith said, you know, which is exactly what happens when there's third denial with Peter. So it's interesting, you get this different, and this Moroni on the top of these Mormon temples is supposed to represent uh, that angel that came to preach the gospel and some Mormons will try to align that with Revelation chapter 14, the angel that flies to the mid heavens preaching the everlasting gospel. We know it's not the same angel for two reasons. Number one, it's not the everlasting gospel, it's a false gospel, like so many false gospels that are there. Not only that, it's not only a different gospel, but the angel that flies in the mid heavens, that angel flies in the mid heavens uh, during the tribulation period, <laughs> say not to take the mark of the beast. It hasn't happened yet, you know? So, uh, uh, and we get this false testimony of who Jesus is, different Jesus, different gospel. But it's interesting. We actually crack open the Book of Mormon. If you go to, for instance, uh, you know, Mosiah chapter fourteen, and if you got a Bible, don't look for Mosiah fourteen. Your Bible you won't find it. That's years, and years later. Uh, years and years later, Mosiah fourteen. Supposedly, Joseph Smith had golden plates, right? And these golden plates contained the Book of Mormon. You know that were hidden by the Nephites, and after their war with the Lamanites, and the Nephites were uh, the Lamanites became bad and and they were basically cursed with a dark skin, and that's where the American Indians supposedly come from. So it's interesting when you see uh, the Nephites. The Nephites had to hid these golden plates. Joseph Smith is brought to discover them. He has these magic glasses and the Urim and Thummim, and he can, he, can, he can translate them right into English. But when you read Mosiah chapter 14, it's only 12 verses long, okay? It's, those 12 verses are the same as Isaiah chapter 53, the first 12 verses in the King James Bible with the these and the those. He's copying the King James Bible. And he's not copying gold plates, you can prove it. You know how you can prove it? And I found this out when I was a new Christian. I was studying Mormonism and looking at their claims. I had Mormons coming to my house. One time I had 10 or 12 Mormons at my house. Uh, I was showing them a presentation that they sold their souls for rock and roll. I didn't know any Christians yet. These guys are coming, the JWs are coming. So I'm studying what they're saying. I'm saying, nope, they got a different Jesus. They got a different Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I'm expressing them. And they, they had the Mormon dances and they are all in the secular music and everything. And I thought, it's kind of interesting. You guys claim to be the one true church, but you can't even get your music right, man. They're like, we play all this music at our church ordained dances. But there was a bigger problem than that. The bigger problem was that a different Jesus and Mosiah 14, this is what's a trip, Chad. If you look at Isaiah chapter 53, the first 12 verses and Mosiah 14, they're pretty much identical. Here's the problem. Is the King James, whoever copied Mosiah 14 from Isaiah 53 claiming it was from Golden Plates, maybe Joseph Smith, right? they copied the italicized words from Isaiah chapter 53 into Mosiah 14. That italicized words in Isaiah 53 were added there by the King James translators for clarification, otherwise you have these choppy sentences. And they copied all those, like, the, the same 11 italicized words in those first 12 verses into the book of Mosiah. Uh, and it's obviously fraud, it's a, it's a fabrication, it's a lie. You can see that too several places in the Book of Mormon. Uh, Quotes 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 in the Book of Mormon. And then uh, one verse says, You know, love is not easily provoked. The word easily is not in the Greek. You could look at other translations, uh, modern translations, you won't see the word easily. It's not in the Greek text. But guess what? Easily provoked. Both those words find themselves in the Book of Mormon because they're copying. There's several citations of the Book of Mormon. Some say up to 4% of the Book of Mormon is quotations taken right from uh, the King James Bible. It's a fraudulent Bible, it's a lie. And we love you, but we, we, and, even, and, and even if somebody passed this on to you, Dallas, Mr. Dallas Jenkins, uh, we, we, we hope that you get right with God. And we hope, I mean, you're having your 15 seconds of fame. It's, it's 15 milliseconds, even less than that compared to eternity because time goes so quick compared to all of eternity, which is forever. We love you, man but we don't love what you're doing. And we encourage you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to get right with God and say, hey, wait, this is a different Jesus. This is a different gospel. This is a different spirit and it's damning people. And I cannot be party to this. So we encourage you to repent and get right in this area. And we really encourage our Mormons, any Mormons that are listening, we love you, man. Jesus died for you. Chad and I were lost. We didn't know Jesus, man. I, was, I came out of the new age, occult, occultism and stuff before I came to Christ. I was doomed. I didn't know I was lost. But then when I saw who Jesus was, I embraced him. When I saw different Jesus come around that were being proclaimed to me, I stuck to the Jesus scripture because you know what? There's no, nothing more important than knowing the true God and having eternal life in him.
0: You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202 Simi Valley California 93062 or call us toll free at one 866 Truth. that's 1-866-528-7884 we hope you'll tune in next time on the good fight radio show